Tonight I want to talk to you about friendship. How our lives are shaped for glory or for ruin. How our lives are shaped for glory or for ruin. And what I want you to consider just for a minute is the way this has progressed. So we start off looking at wisdom. The first couple chapters, the subject of wisdom is introduced and how uh, wisdom isn't come by lightly or easily. If you want wisdom, you cry out for it, the writer says. You dig for it like silver. It's something you treasure. You have to prize wisdom and see the value of wisdom. We talked about that for two weeks. Last week, we studied the fool. I mean, if wisdom is a priceless possession, foolishness is something to to avoid. We think of foolishness as, as something just trite, um, maybe a little bit light, light-hearted, or something with a risk in it. We call it foolhardy. But in the Bible, foolishness is a more serious topic. Foolishness has to do with, with having a proper assessment of wisdom and being humble enough to receive correction at all different points in life. We looked at anger and we looked at all sorts of things, but the ability to receive correction with a humble heart so that you recognize this isn't wise, this is. And so a godly life really isn't a life about not making mistakes. It's more a life about what you do when you make a mistake. And having a heart that, that embraces walking in wisdom, even if it experiences that initial pain of reproof and correction, being humble enough to embrace that as well. And the fool, he would love wisdom if he could buy it over a counter. But because wisdom frequently comes with the cost of saying, oh man, I, I was wrong, or That's, this is just the, the, the wrong way to go about this. Because there's that painful aspect of receiving correction, reproof, um, the fool never will. Uh, see the value and embrace wisdom because it comes at a bit too high a price and the price is personal pride and what they perceive as self-fulfillment. But let's say you're a wise person. Wisdom has to be protected. That's what we're going to be studying tonight. Wisdom has to be protected. And that's why When you read the book of Proverbs and study it subject by subject by subject, what you see is wisdom doesn't come from libraries and universities. Knowledge does. Wisdom comes, and so does foolishness, by the way. Wisdom and foolishness are both the fruits of something different. Not just the books you read and the things you learn, but the relationships that unfold in your life. The relationships that unfold in your life. That's the first point in tonight's study. I've got five or six points, and I, I want to have time for, for uh, prayer groups and everything. So, point number one. For better or for worse, you become what your friends already are. You become what your friends already are. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, 
but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So whoever walks with the wise will become wise. The companion of fools, not not just the fools, the companion of the fools will suffer harm. In other words, you are more shaped by family and friends than by all of the uh, sermons and church services and books and Bible studies in the world. The people you latch on to. The relationships you form. And this, this feature of relationships to form your identity is so important that the scriptures won't leave it alone. And it's picked up again in different terminology in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. If you were in my... Was anybody here at all in my Christian education class this morning? Okay, now you people that have your hand up, say this out loud. When the Bible talks about deceived, what's the other word we talked about this morning? Sucker, yeah. Don't be a sucker. Don't be a sucker. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, that verse says more than it yields at just first glance. Bad company ruins good morals. This is not a person who started out with bad morals, right? You can't ruin bad morals. This is a person who started out with good morals. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. You don't have to be Immoral, I'm not just thinking about sexual immorality, that's included, but, but just a list of, of moral evils. You don't have to be immoral when you start out. If you associate with people who are, so will you be. Say, no, 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 Pastor Don. I know that's what you think, but I'm, I'm dating someone, and they're not a Christian, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to bring them to Jesus. And if you're sitting here, and you're under 30 and you think that's going to happen, let someone in love tell you, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. How do you know that, Pastor Don? Do you remember Jesus told the parable about the weeds and the wheat? What chokes out what? The weeds choke out the crop all the time. Crop never chokes out the weed. So bad company corrupts good morals. This person started out with good morals. He was wise enough to learn the truth. In Bible study, in church, he was wise enough to learn the truth. He exposed his life to God's word. He walked in the truth. His life was on the right track. He was going somewhere positive. But this all got reversed. This all got turned inside out. How'd that happen? Bad company. Bad company wins. Bad company trumps good morals. This good moral person probably never planned to reject wisdom and goodness. Not outright. He didn't plan to. Maybe he thought, like I said earlier, that he would turn bad company to the light. But that's not what the text says. Bad company 
ruins good morals, not good morals convert bad company. And so the text says this good person became corrupt. It, it's, it's, it's a word that describes something that doesn't happen instantaneously, but something that happens over time, like the way a pipe rusts and deteriorates, the way a piece of meat goes bad on a counter. This, this, this decaying quality, this erosion, it's, it's the kind of thing you don't really see coming, right? You don't see it coming. That's the danger of it. And so we learn something right off the bat in this first point. Most of us form friendships on the basis that we, we get along with some people better than other people. It's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. We all find that true in different areas. Maybe when you're younger, you form friendships on the basis of those with whom you have the most fun. That, too, in itself isn't wicked. It can be. You have to be careful about it. The most excitement. But, but friendship, according to these texts, the text in Proverbs and then the text in, in the New Testament, friendship is too precious and, and has too much shaping power over our lives to just be formed so casually just on those terms. Somebody's fun, somebody's likable, we have a good time, and that's okay, it's okay. But a wise person considers influence when he or she builds relationships. Influence. Not just fun, not just excitement. You can count those things. It's nice to be with someone you enjoy their company. I'm not belittling that. But over and above those things, when you're establishing the deep relationships of your life, form them on the basis of influence, the influence that those people have. And a wise person no more leaves friendships to chance than he would blindly put any substance into his mouth. Like everything else in a wise person's life, friendships come under the lordship of Jesus before they're measured by personal taste and comfort. All the relationships in your life belong to Jesus. All the relationships in your life belong to Jesus. Say that with me. All the relationships in your life belong to Jesus. And so, form friendships. That's what we're talking about tonight. Form friendships with people who will draw you closer to the Lord. Two. Not only do friendships shape our lives, they can offer greater strength and support in times of need. Same writer, the book of Ecclesiastes, 4, 9 to 12. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, two lie together, they keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So the idea there is two can do what one cannot. But that, that kind of support is only a blessing when it's the right kind of friendship in the first place. In other words, it's not enough 
that your friends support you when you're down if that friend isn't a good influence on your life morally. Just someone who sticks up for you. Even if you're wrong, that's not the kind of support you need. The friend's support must be more than mere sentimentally helpful, like telling you you're right when you're wrong, or telling you what he thinks you want to hear. A friend is not a good friend just because he will encourage you in whatever you're doing. If the friend is a good friend, if you've been wise in choosing your friends, he must also be making you into the right kind of person, the kind of person God wants you to be. Point number three. A good friend will stand by your side in good times and bad. This is oft repeated in the book of Proverbs. Um, there's just a number of places where, where the nature of fickle friendship is, is laid bare and made obvious. Consider these words. Proverbs 19 Verse 4 and then verse 6 and 7. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Well, you know, those aren't real friends. Those aren't real friends. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to the man who gives gifts. All a poor man's friend, brothers, hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not, does not have them. So, so we're meant to take note of the nearness of friends when uh, you aren't in the finest season of life. That's where you'll discover who your friends really are. And so all through the book of Proverbs, fair-weather friends, they get nothing but scorn and rebuke. The, the whole word of God judges the common mentality of establishing friendships on the basis of wealth, on the basis of social status, wanting to be seen with the right people. Those relationships are worthless. They're worthless. They have nothing of beauty in them. True friendship reveals itself in times of adversity. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Point number four. This is the flip side of the point we just considered. A true and faithful friend will not only offer support in time of need, but honesty in times of correction. And that tests both sides of the friendship. It tests my friend whether he's willing to say, you know, Don, love you, but this, this, this wasn't wise. And that tests my side of the friendship. Some friend you are, is, those comebacks are easy. Is there, is there enough Humility, and is there enough respect for the friendship that the relationship can work beautifully in times of honesty and correction? 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse 
are the kisses of an enemy. That's not dating instruction. It's, it, what it's saying is, what it's saying is, the kind of person that just flatters you. is not a deep friend. Encouragement is good. It's nice when someone lifts you up when you're down. There's nothing wrong with that. We're talking about honesty, though. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It, it, takes, um, it takes great patience and grace. I talked about it just a minute ago. To reach that level of, of, of friendship. You might have a lot of acquaintances in life, but let me just tell you, you won't, have, you won't have many friends like this in life. You'll just get a couple of them. You'll just get a couple of them. And you recognize the preciousness of that kind of friendship. Two friends have to be very close to see through the masks that we all wear at times. And also to be understanding and humble enough to hear words of correction without letting pride destroy the friendship. If that's the way you want to be, I just don't want to talk to you anymore. This might be the highest form of true friendship in the scriptures. And the Bible tells us of many great people who failed right at this point in their relationships. Here's a story you might not be real familiar with. It's from 1 Kings 1, 5 and 6. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, Adonijah's mother, exalted himself saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Uh, uh, an upfront promotional team. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? So David failed his fourth-born son, Adonijah, because he never wanted to say anything that would anger or upset him. He had a short fuse, easily upset. Nobody likes being around a situation like that. So even when he was going down the wrong path, and it cost Adonijah his life. Good friends and good parents frequently have the duty to bring faithful wounds into the lives of those they truly love. Point number five. Good friends are faithful in bringing godly counsel into another's life, that should say. This is different. There's correction now that we talked about that, but this is godly advice. Proverbs 27 gives very telling instruction on this theme. Because we're prone to different situations, different seasons, wise and discerning friends will know how to vary their advice, their words, to fit a particular need. 27.9 Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Oil, well, oil you put into wounds. That's what it was for. Friends know how to help bring healing to those they love. Someone's wounded. It's probably not the time for a lecture. It's the time for encouragement. 
Good friends know the difference. They, they see where you are. You know somebody like that? I can think of people like that. They know where you are. And they know what's most needed, what you'll be... They're able to assess your maturity, what you're able to handle at a given moment. Good friends know that. So sometimes words should heal. 1 Samuel 23, 15 and 16. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. Jonathan's father, Saul, is out to kill David. Jonathan loves David. Jonathan goes to David, and that beautiful phrase, he just strengthened his hand in the Lord. That's one of the richest blessings of close friendship. When you're with someone... You feel weak, you feel tired, and after you're with them, it's not that they just gave you empty flattery, we already talked about that, but you leave and you feel feel lifted up. There are also times for different types of conversation with friends. Remember, we're talking about knowing the seasons. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So there are times when when words should heal and soothe like oil poured into a wound. And there are other times when a friend's words should brace and sharpen. And good friends know when each is needed and how to apply their words in godly timing and in right proportion. Sometimes words provide comfort. Sometimes they're wise enough and shrewd enough to give advice and pointed ideas. Here's here's what good friends do. Good friends help show you something in such a way that when you leave the conversation, you think you thought of it yourself. You know what I'm saying? Good friends know how to do that. Six. A good friend takes the time to truly know the seasons of your life and he has a sense of tact and timing in the things that he says. Timing is what I'm looking at here. 27.14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. You You can say the right thing at the wrong time. And so you get this really simple picture. Derek said this morning, he gets up at 4.30 in the morning. And if he phoned me every morning at 4.30 just to tell me he was up and to wish me a nice day, it wouldn't feel the same my end of the phone as on his end of the phone. So there's that simple picture, but it has more application than just waking someone who's sleeping in. Friends know where their companions are They've taken the time to analyze their lives, the state of their mind, what trials or blessing they're experiencing, and they work that into the relationship. 2520. Whoever sings songs, you feel like singing, and you come to a guy with a heavy heart, and that's your song. Well, it's not a bad song. 
but that, that's not going to fit. It doesn't fit here. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, like vinegar on soda. So there's an example of someone who knows how they feel, and that is steering their conversation. That is steering their life, but they're totally oblivious to how their friend feels. And a good friend says, oh, that's where you are. Where I am isn't the important thing. Let me fit my life into yours. Seven. How to make good friends. Not rocket science, just some basic things. To make friends requires diligent, repeated effort. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And, and for years, the church has kind of poetically taken those words and applied them to Jesus. Um, but, I, but Jesus said he's not ashamed to call us brothers or sisters. But I don't call him Brother Jesus. He's, he's the Lord Jesus. There's all sorts of companions, but a close, close friend. When we don't make friends, when we can't find friends, the tendency is almost always to blame those people. Um, the, the, The biblical truth is friendship requires time. If you don't have time to see anybody, you're not going to be their friend, at least not for long. Friendship takes a lot of work. Friendship takes a lot of sacrifice. You, you don't find time for friends. You make time for friends. It, it becomes some kind of commitment that you follow through on. You know, I, I just try and think of how many times I've heard it. Oh, that church just wasn't friendly. Other people found it friendly. And some people don't find any church friendly. And the writer of Proverbs just reminds us, maybe, just maybe, the problem lies somewhere else. He who would have friends must show himself to be friendly. So to make friends requires diligent, repeated effort. It's a time commitment. Two, avoid gossip. Proverbs 17.9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. People with good friends, deep friends, wise friends... They aren't naive. They aren't people who don't know other people's faults. They're not blind to human faults. They're simply people who have learned not to focus on those things. They don't talk about them. They don't repeat them to others. And they don't dwell on those things in their own minds. Gossip is a weak man's way to muster attention. It shows I'm in the loop. I know what's going on. Gossips really rarely keep good friends for very long. I read, a, I read a quote, I don't remember who, I could look it up, but I don't remember who said it. 
The quote was, travel the world over, and in all the world you'll find there's not a monument or a statue anywhere in honor of a gossip. We just forget about those people. Three, how to make good friends. Avoid the person with a quick temper. Not everybody's a good candidate for friendship. That might not sound tolerant in today's standards. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger. There you go. Just, just not him. Nor go with a wrathful man or woman. Lest you learn his ways. Remember at the beginning, good, bad company corrupts good morals, right? You start hanging around with people with short fuses and quick tempers. Lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. I find people are shocked, actually shocked when they learn the Bible says there are certain people they shouldn't include in their friendships. But it does. And high on the list is a person with a quick temper. This, this guy with a quick temper, he will bring disaster everywhere he goes. Stay away from him. D. How to make friends, good friends. Keep the word and ways of God prayerfully at the center of all your relationships. The only risk of reading this next text is everybody knows it already. And when everybody knows a text, it tends to flatten it out a bit. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. See, this is a text about friendship, negative friendship. This is what you don't want in friendships. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And the question to ask is, why, when the psalmist talks about the blessedness of meditating on God's word and the fruitfulness it can bring into a life, why does he not start with that? Why does he start first with saying you need to eliminate this list of potential friends? And here's why. Because you can read God's word till you choke on it. And if you surround yourself with crummy friends, it will do nothing for you. Nothing. Maybe going to church regularly and bumping into people in the foyer. Maybe it's more important than we think for spiritual growth, eh? You can't separate the entrance of the power of God's word in your life from the kind of company you keep. Don't build friendships on mere emotional attachments. Your friends are God's business. Jesus is Lord over all your friendships. And so look at the things that are shaping your life. Look at the things that are shaping your life. Look at the relationships that are shaping your life. And make sure Jesus is pleased with all of them. Let's pray together.